Happy Sabbath. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. And Lord, now we ask as we open your holy scripture, that Lord, you would speak to our heart. Feed us with the bread of life, so that Father God, we would not leave this place the same way that we came. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Second Timothy. We begin our sermon this morning with an older gentleman in a prison. At the bottom of a Roman dungeon laid an old man. Roman soldiers came running down the stairs one day and grabbed this old man from where he was laying dungeon. They took him and dragged him out into the streets and brought him to the central building in Rome. When they got there, there was a crowd of dignitaries waiting. This old man was the Apostle Paul, and he was told by the soldiers that Nero wanted him to denounce Jesus. And if he did not denounce Jesus, he would be put to death. Ellen White tells us that Paul was led to a podium, and as he stood before this waiting congregation. His life was literally on the line. But Paul did not denounce Jesus that day. Instead, Paul preached one of his most powerful sermons, so much so that even some of the soldiers believed on Jesus Christ. And some of the dignitaries went back to their corner of the empire believing in Jesus. Paul was dragged back to that dungeon. And I can see them throwing him to the floor and asking him if he had one final request before they put him to death. The beaten, weakened old man did not ask for pleasures or for privilege, but instead the Apostle Paul asked for something to write on and to write with. And Paul wrote the last book of the Bible he would write, the book of 2 Timothy. This book is important because our message this morning is entitled Focusing on the Finish Line. And on a day where we are recognizing our youth, this book also gives Paul's last lessons to young Timothy. Lessons that are given to us as the last generation. So in the book of 2 Timothy, in the first chapter, Paul begins by thanking God. Even in his difficult situation, Paul again praises God. In verse 5, he speaks directly to Timothy. And he says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded that is in you also. The first lesson to young people that Paul would want to give is that you not squander the legacy of faith that your family has given you. We have a legacy of faith, a heritage of holiness. But so many of our young people are quick to squander the blessings given them being raised in a Christian home. Paul says that the faith of your grandmother and your mother has been found in you, Timothy. And I challenge young people to respect that they have been raised in a house where the Spirit of God is present. I have one of my friends that... Um, I had dinner with late one night after uh, a, we went to a college football game. This was a young man who was raised with us in the Adventist church in Miami. My cousin was playing on the team and we went to the game and afterwards we left to go and have something to eat. 
As my friend was sitting across from me, he told me that on Tuesday he had to turn himself in to the federal penitentiary in Miami. I said to him, what is it? What, what, you know, what have you done that would cause you to have to be to spend time in federal prison? He began to tell me the story that when I had left to go to, to Adventist College, he had begun to sell drugs in Miami. He was not very good, honestly, at selling drugs and told me stories of his being robbed at gunpoint and finally caught on the I-95 by helicopters and SWAT team and caught to be sent to prison. The police got him and he knew that he was in trouble because in his car he had 40 kilograms of cocaine. And I, I said to him, what would make you drive in your car with 40 kilograms of cocaine? We had been both raised at the same church and I knew his parents loved the Lord, but he had gotten caught up in the things of the world and was more concerned with what he owned and what he had than with knowing Jesus. That Tuesday, he was having to pay because he decided to follow the world rather than respect the legacy of faith that his parents had given him. I want to let the young people know that true happiness and joy is not found in the things of the world, but is found in knowing Jesus. So young people, do not squander your legacy of faith. Paul then says to Timothy in verse 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Faith and fear cannot exist in the same place. The Christian is not does not go through life fearful. Instead, the Christian is filled with God and has love and power. One of the main things I see patience for is fear. We live in a time when people are anxious and afraid of many things. And they want doctors to write them medicines to to turn their to turn away their fears or to turn off their fears but the correct treatment for fear on earth is having a relationship with Jesus Christ because when he fills you the fear will disappear paul is saying to us in these last days that we ought not be fearful of what is to come on earth we should not be afraid that war will come not afraid that persecution will come but we must be confident in the power of the God that we serve. So Christian, don't be afraid, but instead trust in God and have faith. In chapter 2, Paul turns to us, the last generation possibly of young people. And in chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. I want to submit to you that you have not joined church simply for social reasons. But when we become members of a church and become a part of the family of God, we are called to be soldiers in the army of God, which means then that we are now to go to battle in the name of Jesus against the world. And that we are called, as Paul says, to endure hardness. And just like many brave young Americans have gone to Iraq and Afghanistan and given up their lives at home, risking their lives and their health. If these young people will go to serve their country like this, how much more should those who serve God be willing to give up everything in order to serve him? 
But the church functions, if we are soldiers, as the barracks. This is where soldiers come to be strengthened. Yet it seems sometimes that there's more fighting in here than out there. It seems as if we are sometimes more uh, willing to be soldiers against each other than with each other. But understand that we are each other's keeper as soldiers. And even when we don't fully agree, we must fully serve God together. It's funny because it seems like the only time some of us shoot off our guns is when we are inside the house of God. And we leave the world afraid to fight the forces of evil where they are. But Paul says we must be soldiers. We must be willing to give up everything to serve our God. And like a soldier knows that even his life might be sacrificed, we must be willing even to sacrifice our lives. Paul then says to Timothy in in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He says in verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. I want to say to all of the young people especially, but even to those that are older, that God has called you to study so that he is pleased. Everything we do, we are studying. Every time we sit in front of a television, our brains absorb the information. My wife is here with us today, and she was telling me just this morning that on the History Channel, they had um, ancient stories, and they were changing the Bible stories to be something other than they are. That the Jericho walls fell because of an earthquake. That Herod did not order the murder of all of the children uh, in Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. The enemy understands that every time you're exposed to false information, you absorb it as if you were studying. So Paul, knowing that in the last days there'd be much more information than ever before, calls the soldiers of God to be students of God's word. This afternoon we'll do one another presentation on music and, and on a popular culture. And, and one of the things is that the music of the day has become, as Paul says, vain and profane babbling. And I believe that one of the reasons that America sees her youth doing some of the things that the youth are doing is because the youth are listening to music that degrades them, where people are only swearing and cursing and speaking foul, foul things. The word of God says that this will increase unto more ungodliness. Paul says in verse 20, That in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Bible commentators tell us that this great house represents the church. And Paul is saying that everyone who comes to church is not necessarily true blue. As a matter of fact, there are those who come to church who are practicing spiritual espionage. They are spies against God, as Israel had in the wilderness. So we warn young people that they be careful that they don't leave the church because of something someone might say to them in church. There are many who use uh, being mistreated by church members as an excuse to leave. But the Bible warns us that the wheat and tear will grow together and that we cannot expect that everyone in church will be authentically working for God. So instead, we must focus on being purged ourselves. And focus more on what kind of vessel am I? 
Verse 21, Paul says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. God is saying that some of us, even though we think we are on God's side, we don't even know that we still need to be purged. But I thank God that when he begins a work in us, that he is faithful and just to finish the work he starts in us. In verse 22, Paul again speaks to the young people of the church, those who would be of the last generation. And he says, flee also youthful lusts. He says, follow righteousness and faith, charity and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Never before have young people been more pressured to be to be uh, sexually involved. And we'll talk about that in this afternoon's program more. But Paul tells us, like he told Timothy, that we must flee those things that are not pleasing to God. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Because Paul knew that in the last days, these issues would be more critical than ever before. In chapter 3, Paul turns to last day prophecy. And he says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce and despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We live in very perilous times, amen? We live in times when you don't know when someone might pull up and rob you and kill you. We live in a time when the world is richer than it ever was. Yet the number one cause of death in the world is poverty. We live in a time when people only seek to elevate themselves and to make their name known among men. Where people are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. One study showed that the average Christian spends six times more money on entertainment than they give to their local church. We live in a time when men have turned from God yet claim to know him. Verse 5, Paul says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He says, from such, turn away. We live in a time when Christianity, and I mean all denominations, has become a shell of what it used to be. Now Christians are more concerned with prosperity. They judge the, the success of the church by how many people show up on Saturday or Sunday. They have turned the house of God into a house of, 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 of entertainment and amusement, having a form of godliness, but never tapping into the power of God to change lives. One of the, the most famous pastors in the United States today is a man named Joel Olstein. His church has over 30,000 members. His book was um, way high on the New York Times bestseller list entitled Your Best Life Now. Yet when he was asked by Larry King on CNN, what do you do with sin at your church? Joel Osteen said, I don't deal with sin. And I tell you that a pastor that does not deal with sin is like a doctor who says he does not treat disease. Thousands flock to these churches 
but there is no power of God active. And I'm afraid that sometimes even us as Adventists are trying to model ourselves after them. We must be careful that we have working in our churches the Holy Spirit of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. But Paul warns us that in the last days, you may not be able to trust those who call themselves Christian leaders. But instead, we must know God's word for ourselves. In chapter four, Paul begins his final dissertation. He says in four and verse one, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He says to the young people of today, preach the word out of season, exhort. But he says to do this with all long suffering and doctrine. Paul understood that in the last days, churches would be raised up that would not even have doctrinal creeds. And now churches call themselves non-denominational and you can just kind of believe whatever you want to believe. And they have a buffet of doctrines. You just pick which ones you want and leave what you don't. But Paul says long suffering, meaning lovingly and using God's word to establish our beliefs. We are to address the sin issue among us. He says in verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. Paul now is focusing on the finish line. He says, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He says, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Speaking about this crown in the book of Revelations, Jesus says, beware lest another man take your crown. And Ellen White in vision says that she saw where the angels of God took the crowns and reshaped them to fit someone else's head. So I warn the young people, as well as those who are older, do not lose your crown. Paul says, if you live a faithful Christian life, the day will come when Jesus will hand you a crown of righteousness. And that on that last day, the Bible says, which the, uh, uh, he shall give me, give me at that day and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Paul is saying, focus on finishing. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 13, that he that endures to the end shall be saved. I submit to you today that we must endure this race, that as Christians, we must accept that God will help us to finish what he has begun. And as prophecies are being fulfilled all around us, we know that our time our time of departure, as Paul says, is soon as at hand. And we must be ready to stand for Jesus Christ. Because the time will come when we who are believers in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. When we are not, we will not be allowed to worship freely as we do now. And if right now we are, we are not able to be Christians. If right now we are not able to, to follow Jesus all the way. How will we follow him when persecution is the result of following him? 
The Old Testament prophet said it like this. If you can't run with the footmen, how will you keep up with the horses? If we can't keep up right now with being Christian, how will we do it when persecution is the result of our beliefs? How will you be a Christian when the war comes? As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to ask that you stand to your feet if you plan on focusing on finishing with Jesus. If you want to make your calling and your election sure, as the theme song of the week has been, all the way we want Jesus to lead us. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, let us pray that God would finish the work he has begun in us. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your truth. For Father God, we realize we are unworthy of your love, that all of us have sinned and have come short of your glory. Yet, Father God, you love us anyway. And while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Father God, today let us be recommitted to you. Let all those that are standing for you right now be able to stand for you in time of trouble. Disconnect us from this world, Lord. For this world is not our home. Remind us that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and that our our savior, our king is coming for us. Father God, help us to watch and be ready. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen and amen. Amen.